0: One more. Praise the Lord. Thank you so much for your giving and for your continued commitment to what the Lord is giving us to do as his saints. I'm going to ask you to turn with me to my favorite book in the Old Testament, the book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter Six, and um, you know, I uh, I turned to this passage, and I uh, when you when in this Bible when I turned to Isaiah six, well Isaiah seven is right on the the next page, and I look. This is not the message today, but I look to Isaiah seven seven, and I remember uh, back in in. Uh, in 2004, the very beginning of 2004, when we were really in a a unique place as a church. We were being transitioned from what we had known into what would become uh, the Father's Church in the, the Saints Network group, and there were a lot of people that were Doing things behind the scenes that were really not godly; that were they were attacking us, and it was in the natural. It could have been a very fearful time, for a lot of reasons. But one morning I was praying in here, and I was alone, and um, I, I was I just took the Bible and I opened it. I was reading it, and I came to this seventh verse of chapter seven. And this was when Isaiah was meeting with uh, King Ahaz, and this is where the the passage in verse 14 about the virgin conceive, and um, his name will be Emmanuel, that wonderful passage. But verse 7 says, Thus says the Lord God, It shall not stand, neither shall it come to pass. And as soon as I read that, there was a release into my spirit that galvanized me. I was always committed. We were committed, um, but it was it was like a battlefield commitment. And I thought, you know what? <laughs> we're all committed here. We're fighting for what God wants, and we're just going to keep on fighting. And there's no there's no there's no way we could surrender. There's no way we would surrender. But at this point, there's no way we we can surrender. So we're just that unique moment. And this verse came. And so I went to my office and I took an old Bible that I had that I'd actually gotten when I was in seminary. And in truth, I found it on sale. It was a study Bible. I found it on sale at the GPH bookstore. So I thought, well, you know, I'll pay a couple bucks for this. This is a real value. And so I had it in my office. So I opened that Bible to this passage and laid it on one of the windowsills in my office. And it's there to this day. And every morning I would go and I would declare, thus says the Lord God, it shall not stand, neither shall it come to pass. And I just proclaimed it. And then I'd speak, I'd pray in the spirit. And I, I thank God that we saw a miracle. We saw a miracle that all of the well laid plans that would have tried to stop us. And they were well laid and they were financed and they had a motive, uh, that all of it went away. I mean, God just did it. This shall not stand, neither shall it come to pass. And so I've got that still in there. I was looking at it this morning. Uh, it's just laying there, and I have to, I have to clear the dust off. I, I can feel that, and I don't, I don't ever turn it from that page. It is, it is, it's, not a, it's not an idol. I'm not worshiping it. It's the word of the Lord, but it's a constant reminder that God's word is true. And we we can say God's word is true for our personal lives that nobody else sees, and that is that is valid for us. But on behalf of this people, and on behalf of what God is uh, is doing throughout the world through His saints, this verse seven seven really is is just a gem to me. So that's not the message for today. But when I turned open this this Bible to Isaiah 6, which is where we're going to be when I ever get around to preaching. Um, This seventh verse, um, don't ever underestimate the power of the word of the Lord in you. When God gives you a rhema, when God gives you a promise, you hold on to that. God's word is forever settled and it is forever alive. And so I'm very, very, very grateful for that. So, um, we uh, we are really living in some some incredible times as saints, and we are have been being positioned by the Lord for a a point of breaking through into the nations and and into this nation in a way that that none of us, Eye is not seen, ear is not heard, neither has it entered into the heart of any person. The glorious things that God has reserved for those who love him. These things that we're going to see in this breakthrough are going to astound us all. And and I think we should just continue to to hold fast in the Lord and just enjoy him and let him continue to fine-tune your spirit and fine-tune the things that he's showing you. And don't, don't ever miss the moment. Don't be like Jacob who said, God was in this place and I didn't know it. God is with you. We are in a momentous time as saints. And as was prophesied uh, at the beginning of this pandemic, or before that, God said that he was going to change us as saints in a way that would be greater than when we first were changed, and we're seeing that positioning, and so I, I I have been blessed by the Spirit guiding us into reflections of what happened in Moses' life, uh, what happened in Elijah's life. You know, again, this past Wednesday, we shared about uh, when Elijah was up on the top of that mountain dealing with those demonic prophets. And the one verse that we just didn't uh, ever really focus on, because there's a lot of bombastic things that happen there, with the rain coming, the fire falling, him slaying those guys. But Elijah brought the people together before he did any of, of before God brought the fire, and they rebuilt the altar of the Lord. I think that that is really symbolic it's not only symbolic, but it, it is, is a testament to what God's been doing in you and in me. And how um, he's causing us to not necessarily rebuild things that have fallen, but to remember the things that, that he put in place. And, and then perhaps even to, uh, to, through his spirit, gird up places that he's going to build upon. So we've looked at Elijah, we've looked at Moses, we've looked at other points of transition from the Mount of Transfiguration, the ways God moves, and there are similar traits within all of them. But this past week, the Lord directed our attention to Isaiah 6. This was another one of those transitional moments. And in verse 1, very familiar passage, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Each one of these things we have talked about a great, at great length, so I'm not going to revisit them today. But the, the story of Uzziah, the story of the throne, the story of the train of the Lord. Those are all incredible. And, and then above this stood the seraphims, which are the fiery ones. These are the angels of, of fire yeah, that are mentioned in the scripture. If you look at the derivation of their word, it, it, it can mean a bright and burning look like copper wood or something that, um, something that could be an implement in the fire that could go into the fire and not be um, to not not be corrupted, but would reflect the fire. These beings were made to function in the fire of the Lord. And in, in heaven, um, there is, uh, according to the book of Revelation and according to uh, things that the Spirit has shown to many intercessors, there is an altar of incense that uh, really stands between where the throne is and where the temple of the tabernacle of testimony is these are in scripture you can read about it and there is fire there at that in that altar and the the angels of fire are are, are ministering around that altar and it's where the incense of the saints is offered before the lord now girding up as coals there are those who suffered for the lord those who um, who were offering themselves as living sacrifices and they have conversations with God. But these are specific types of, of angelic creatures that focus, if, you, if you're the fire, if you're an angel of fire dealing with incense, you would think that you would be very interested in the incense. You would think that you would be very particular in what type of incense you would accept for the burning upon that. And I believe that these types of angels, which we have seen, as the Lord would show, during our times of worship, during the times of dancing and waving the banners, um, these types of angelic beings uh, are are very much uh, influences of the divine uh, that... in. uh, Inspire our intercession. So these beings are there. Why they've got six wings, um, which would say to me: I mean, if you speak about six, it's the number of man, but it's also um, it's also a number that signifies that they, in themselves, don't fulfill the ways of God. They serve the ways of God. So with two of their uh, wings they cover their face, which which really says we are devoted to the face of the Lord. We're not letting our face be influenced by any other face. We're devoted to the um, to the to the face of God, to the ways of God. And with two they cover their their feet, which means we are devoted to stand where God wants us to stand, and we. We uh, we will not go off on our own pathway. We will not divert from what God has called us to do. But with two wings, they fly, which means they're at the bidding of the winds of the Spirit. And, and so that the study of the seraph, we're not worshiping angels, but the scripture certainly says a number of things about them, that these beings are, are there is, is a very interesting Addition to this, because God could have had, you know, in Ezekiel's day, God had cherubs that came and were were moving with the wheel within the wheel, and God has had other times, like when He met with Joshua looking out over Jericho, the angel of the Lord was there, and um, uh, but I I just I just think it's interesting. And we must not skip past this as some kind of a, of a frill or a bow on the package. That these fiery ones are, are there. And, and I, I believe that, I'm not making a doctrine of this, but these ones are the ones that take a coal from off of the altar. Um, I mean, altar is kind of, uh, is kind of a generic word. And we know of the two types of altars that were there in that complex of of the temple and the tabernacle environment. You know, there was one for the burnt offering for sin, and then there was an an altar that burned the incense. That's the one that's in heaven. There is no more sacrifice for sin in heaven. That has been offered. So God put it in the heavenly garage sale. He got it out of there. There's no more need for that. But the altar. Of incense is there. And um, we read about it in the book of Revelation. So I believe that this, this representation, and, and they cry, Holy, 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 is the Lord of hosts, the armies of heaven. They're, they're talking about how God is coming to do a work, the whole earth, that the whole earth would be full of his glory. This is a transitional moment for Isaiah. The king Uzziah had died. He knew that life as he had known it was gone, and it had been on a downward train for many years. During the time that Uzziah was was dying, and um, but but the fact that there is this angelic group that really function on behalf of incense is and prayer, and what God partnering with what God is wanting to do at His throne is very interesting. Uh, because at this transitional moment, Isaiah sees this, and it's, it's incredible. The posts of the door moved at the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. Now, that's interesting, the smoke. That sounds like incense, doesn't it? Um, the, the house was filled. These angels, the angels of fire, are, are I'm sure that if, if you were to see the, that altar in, in the heavens with the fire and them moving around about it, um, that, that, that incense that rises and it just blesses the Heavenly Father. I can see how God didn't want to go anywhere without that being around. So the house being filled with the smoke of the Lord and these angels that deal with incense and the, 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 the wonderful burning there, there they are meeting with Isaiah I love that see because you cannot separate you cannot separate that kind of environment from you cannot separate that kind of environment from um, revelation insight you, you you know you you cannot separate an intercessory capacity with from from gaining insight as to what God's going to do and I would say that out of all of the Old Testament and I love all of the Old Testament but Isaiah is my favorite book it is the New Testament book of the Old Testament the prophecies he speaks about the coming of Jesus the sacrifice of Christ and, and revelation, unknown tongues, um, line upon line, precept upon precept, the, the judgments of those who are settled instead of wanting to move forward. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has written, risen upon you. The testimonies of how the, the, the nations of the earth are going to come, and kings are going to come to the rising. All of these things, and more are prophesied by this wonderful prophet who spanned many different um, uh, administrations of kings. But I dare say that um, the, the reason for that empowerment was because of this encounter with incense, with intercession, with the fire of the Lord. And um, that, to me, is the primary reason that God has blessed this house and the saints with the incredible measures of understanding of the of the concepts of the scripture. It's because we have devoted ourselves and need to continue to devote, ourso- devote ourselves to intercession and to what God is doing as saints to offer that incense And that the very things that you and you and you and all of you are praying in diversities of tongues before the Lord are being captured and are being consumed on that altar of fire that blesses the Father. This is the revelatory fuel that inspired Isaiah. And it is what you and I are privileged to be living today. Amen? So... Verse 5, then said I, woe is me. Now, this is kind of funny because, <laughs> you know, if you look in, 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 the, uh, in what this word is in the Hebrew, it's oy. And, you know, you, you, you hear, I, I grew up around a lot of Eastern European kids and uh, Italian kids and in the midst of a number of them were a lot of uh, non-practicing Jews, and these kids. There, if you if you went to their house or if you were around their parents, that was a common phrase that they'd say, "Oi, oi ve." You know, they'd say that, and it it really means if you look it up. How foolish is this? Or my goodness, this just went haywire. It was an expression that it was it wasn't a cuss word, but it was it was. Um, it was like, it was like a word that just meant how in the world, how did this get so screwed up? You know, what in the world's going to happen next? What's next? Oy. So this is, you know, here is, here, holy, 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 the temple's shaking and the smoke's filling and the Lord is there. <laughs> Isaiah says, oi! <oy. laughs> it's kind of funny to me. There's hope for me yet. How can you joke around in the presence of the Lord? How can you be laughing? Oi! I mean, there, there it is right there. I mean, he was just a human being. He didn't walk around with a goofy Mona Lisa grin on his face. He was just a human being. And um, I, I'm so grateful for that because Isaiah was, was a godly man, but he was a person. And so, woe is me. Oi! But then he says a couple of other things. The first one is, I am undone. Now, this was a really popularized thing back when we all started praying, and the vineyard movement really would, people, if they were touched, I used to joke with Teresa about this, you know, are you undone yet? That was a big phrase, oh, I'm just undone. And and if you look, though, at what this word means it doesn't just mean you're disheveled or that you're just beside yourself you know oh the glory of the Lord if I know anything you know I you know it it it, this this is a really picturesque word because it always means to see something beside you or beyond you that is much better and you recognize that you are not that it it it's it's very interesting And you look it up, it is unquestionably what this means. To look at a picture of something that you need to become, but you recognize that you're not there yet. Now, first place, oi. Then this. And and I, I really believe that this is the signpost of the walk of grace. You recognize There's some place that God is wanting to bring us, and we're not there yet, and we need to get there. And and when you really recognize, when you really encounter this word that Isaiah says undone, you can you can react to it in a couple of ways, Uh, or actually probably three ways. And this is the way it is with anything in the spirit. You can either say, uh, if it's there, that's fine. I don't care. How does that affect me? That's not a good, that. he that is ignorant, let him be ignorant still. Agnoeo, that's what the scripture says. The other would be, uh, I just, I see what God wants and boy, things around me aren't very good. And, and instead of looking forward, you look at the waves And that, those waves become bitterness and you sink and you become corrupted and you become defiled. The third and the best way is to say, look at what God is saying. Look at what's ahead of us. Yeah, we're not there yet. And boy, have, do we recognize that we, we, uh, there's nothing in us that's going to get us there in our own merit, but we strive in grace to move forward into that picture, into that thing that we see as a glass darkly, but we'll know face to face. I'm not going to give way to doubt or unbelief. I'm not going to give way to, oh, woe is me. I can't make it. I'm going to keep pressing forward and believing God for this miracle. It is the pathway of the miraculous and that's what undone means. It doesn't mean that you've just been smitten by the spirit and you can't move or you're just disintegrating even though that can be a, a a manifestation of a visitation from God. But it means that I see something ahead. It's a beautiful picture and I I in comparison I am nothing but I'm going to go forward. Now, so with that Let's look at this threefold progression. Isaiah first says, "Oy," <laughs> yeah, so he admits, "Boy, I'm in a I'm in a peck of something here." The second is, "I see the reason that God is here." Yeah, you could say, "Was this just an expression of the fact that God was there, or was God really showing him something that was beyond?" Well, I have to believe, by the choice of this term that the Spirit used, God was showing him something. And how often has that been the case with us? We've been in the presence of the Lord. It's wonderful. God is showing us himself. But yet there is that desire from deep within to go beyond where we are. And you may not understand everything that's there, but you know that there's something more. And that's, that's the picture. So the next thing Isaiah says, and this is very important, I am a man of unclean lips. I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. Now, unclean here is our old friend. We've studied this before. T-A-M-E. We, we get our English word, derivations throughout the year, tame, which, which means that something that you were created to be, you've settled. It's like if an animal, a wild animal, is tamed, well, they may not be out exhibiting all the things that they genetically should have been doing. Now they're just there. They've they've been forced to settle for a lifestyle. And um, you know, uh, I, yesterday I went by to uh, pick up Ally uh, and Kelly to take them downtown, and there was uh, their little one of their little dogs, Maya and Maya was real excited to see me doing a little spin and everything, and, and, um, but, but that dog obviously in its genetic makeup was made to herd, H-E-R-D, and you can tell the way it moves, but yet it's tame. This dog is in the house, and about the only thing it herds is it gets underfoot, or it goes to the window and barks at squirrels. So you think, that's what she should do. I mean, she's a good household companion. She loves the kids, and she loves Kelly and Fabian. She doesn't quite know what to make of the baby yet, but uh, she'll she'll be submitted to it soon. Um, but, you know, what? what she was actually supposed to be, what she was bred to be, is not really being fulfilled. And I think that that is truly the, the, the essence meaning of what it means to be unclean here. It doesn't mean to be filthy. It doesn't mean to be uh, some vagabond that's committed heinous sins. It just means that you're living below, uh, maybe not through any fault of your own, but you're living below what God is wanting. And I think that for Israel at this time frame, um, they all knew that when Uzziah was uh judged by God, and leprosy came and uh and instead of being the um uh, the advance guard of creativity in the known world, now they're just watching the king slowly die, and his son, who was very uh, he was a very good manager, but he really wasn't. He wasn't leading the people forward. He was just watching over what his father had built. They watched it go downhill. And instead of being the vanguard of God's people, they were just existing. And so Isaiah says, you know, there's not been a whole lot that I could do prophetically You know what are you going to do? Is the prophet going to surpass God's authority? No, you can't do that. Is the prophet going to trump the king? No, you can't do that. We got to wait till God. What whatever God is doing is finished. And but but the people, look at the people. You know Isaiah saying, "I am I am a man of unclean lips." He's a prophet. That's what his his lips are supposed to be, prophetic. And, And I've I've been tamed, and the people here are tamed. This is what he's saying, and in in the the woe is me, I see something that we should be, we're not there, and we're tamed. Uh, I'm not faulting Isaiah, I'm just saying this is what's happening. This is this moment of transition. God had a lot yet to do. In fact, arguably, Isaiah's ministry truly began in earnest in this sixth chapter. What he said in the first five are great. They're they're great. But it's like he became supercharged since this time. And I think we're at this point. And I think all of these transitional passages in the word are the same thing. Moses, uh, there at the mount, where instead of prophesying, he smote the rock and cursed the people. Elijah, on the mount with God. Um, where he should have been ready to go and take advantage of the great victory, he said, uh, that's it, I, I, I can't do it anymore. I don't want to do it. Um, but, but had they gone forward, they would have seen uh, a, an amazing multiplication of the things that God would have used them in, um, both in quantity and in quality. And, and so here is the situation with Isaiah. Now, in Isaiah's case, he succeeded. He didn't say, woe is me, I'm undone, I'm a man of unclean lips, I just take me home, Lord. That was missing. He didn't say that. And you say, well, that's because God was in the temple with him. Well, I've been around people in the presence of the Lord who said a lot of things that I think, man, you're walking on some dangerous ground here. And really, which which was better? This in the temple, or Moses on the mountain, where God is breaking rocks, sending fire, wind is blowing, and God's there whispering him in a still small voice. Which is more of a more of a profound visitation from God? It's the same God. I mean, I would have to think that you've got one A and one B here, so you can't say, "Well, you know, you can." You can give Isaiah the benefit of the doubt here because, you know, he's there and this the train fills the temple. Well, God's train filled the whole mountain for for, <laughs> for Elijah. They were all in this transitional moment. What was the solution for Isaiah? Well, the he proclaims this, these things that we just said, and one of the seraphs came and had a live coal from the altar, part of the altar, as Pastor Larry taught so eloquently on several years ago. Uh, and he touches the lips of of uh, Isaiah, and his iniquity was taken away. His iniquity was taken away. The, the way that his purpose, by virtue, not of anything of his fault, waiting for Uzziah, to have expended the totality of God's timing, but that can twist you. That waiting can, any time, any time a movement hits inertia, it's a danger. You know, any time movement is stopped, it's a danger, and so this was not Isaiah's fault, but he wasn't able to minister prophetically in, in much of a profound way until Uzziah died. Do you see that? So he is waiting on the timing of the Lord, not asking for it to happen. That would have been morbid, and that would have not been a good prophetic stance. But he's waiting. Have you felt like you're waiting over these past couple years? Boy, I have. And we've been living, we've been functional, but it's, it's, uh, it's, it's been a really unique time where you know God is going to do something. But not yet. He is doing things, but the big breakthrough has not come. And I think that we all should say, what did we learn from Moses? Obey what God says at the right hand. Don't act with uh, according to your own actions. Don't curse, prophesy what God says at the right hand. What did we learn from Elijah? Wrap the mantle of what God has called you to be around your head. Stand at the doorway and listen to what he's saying and then do it. What do we learn here? That God would touch us with the coals of his altar and that he would cause any any measure of twistedness, whether it's our fault or not our fault, whether it's something that has not been utilized yet in the lord because iniquity is twisted purpose uh and uh, let let god's let the fire of that altar in heaven as saints how how much more important is this for us as saints let it touch us in our in our intercession And let any way that maybe we have missed the mark in conjunction with this, and we all have, if we say we've not sinned, we lie. Um, But we have an advocate with the Father. Let God touch us with that fire. And let us be ready for what God is requiring. The angel says in verse 7, as he laid this coal on his mouth. Lo, this has touched your lips and your iniquity is taken away and your sin purged. Then I also heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? Then I said, Here am I. Send me. Oh, man. We like to, at times, preach that verse. Who will go for us? It was the missionary service on Bible college and university campuses. Who will go for us? And then Dennis and I would be outside the window saying to the kid, go to Africa. So, so, you know, this, this is what we like to preach at the beginning. But you cannot take this out of context. You have to look at what those first seven verses say. And you have to align yourself with it. You have to be before the Lord, and you have to recognize. Yeah, boy, things are haywire. If there was ever a time that we could say oi, it's when we look at the news and we look at what's going on in our cities and we look at what's going on in our school. There's a whole lot of oi going around, and you know we recognize that geopolitically our nation is living far below at this point what it should be. We're doing things that are ridiculous. We're empowering our en- enemies while, while causing ourselves to be weakened by our own devices. And that can only mean something that is setting the stage for fulfillment of what the scripture says around the end times. As much as that hurts me to say it, it there's no other explanation for it. I mean, it, there just isn't. But we we see we're in the midst of people that are living below uh, what God created this nation to be. And, and we're living in the midst of, in many ways, a church, not this local church, but, but a church in general that is living below what God really created and ordained it to be. And, and we, we say with that, we, uh, we're undone because God who's wanting more, What is coming is greater. We must get ourselves positioned in grace to believe for that, regardless of what we see around us and regardless of what it might feel like in our most uh, human observations. And, And really what I'm describing is the same scenario that Moses felt. It's the same scenario that Elijah felt. You can look at the lives of other people in the Bible who were a transitional, and you can find this same scenario, whether it's Ruth and Naomi, whether it's uh, Saul in his, ass- in his assessments of what was going on with Samuel and with David. And, and I'm not making excuses for anybody, but the same thing Jesus had to face on the Mount of Transfiguration. Why else would God have Moses and Elijah there? Why else? What were they talking about? They had to have been talking. Why would God choose those two? Why didn't he send Isaiah? That's who I would have liked to have seen. Why didn't he send Samuel? He sent Moses and Elijah. Because it was that transitory moment. It was that transfiguring moment. And we are in that moment right now. So what do we do? What do we do? We apply the principles of the scripture. We must say to the Lord in conjunction with Isaiah, Lord, we recognize these conditions. Thank you for showing us them in the word. Help us to grasp uh, through the power of your spirit what the spirit is guiding us into in the truths that are coming. Help us to partner with that and not resist it. Help us to pay attention and not be asleep at the desk. Help us to move forward in that and not to give place to bitterness. Let us not give place to the taming of this time of waiting, but let us be rather inspired and empowered by the fire of heaven, the fire of the Lord. May it ignite what we were created to be so that we can serve you in this hour. Let us be like what Moses should have been. And I'm not faulting Moses. These are difficult transitional moments. and Thank God for their example. We cherish that. But let us do what God says at the right hand. In order to do that, we've got to spend time at the right hand. We've got to be there as intercessors and to hear what God is saying. Let us be as Elijah Let us remember the mantle that God has outfitted us with. What is our calling? What is our identity in God? What has he empowered us to represent throughout the world? And let us listen to that still small voice. And let us not give up. Let us not say we've done enough. It's time to just sit here and let somebody else do it. Let us remember what God has prophesied about the Elijahs and the Elishas coming. What more could... Joshua had done had Moses remained in position. What more could what more, what could Ahaz have done had he listened to what Isaiah was saying in chapter seven? Isaiah said, Look, don't make that agreement with Syria. Don't do it. They have no good intentions for you. Stand and believe the Lord. Ask of him a sign, and he will grant it to you. out before him. And Ahaz said, No, I'm not doing it. We must not surrender to the waves upon which we're walking. We must be those intercessors who are pleasing to the Lord and who are serving him on earth as it is in heaven. Now, how do we do this? Do we wait until one of us sees an angel flying through here with fire? Or do we believe that we've been functioning in this environment already I mean, we are, we are citizens of heaven. Our conversation is there. And um, I think that it's enough for us to see this as a biblical principle, understanding the scenario which was replayed over and over and over again. In the mouth of more than three vit- witnesses, this has been established as the way God moves in these moments and live and act like we understand this. This is what we must do. We don't need some big, strong dude to come in and lay hands on us and knock us into next Tuesday. We need to represent what God has made us to be. Every one of you is powerful in the Lord. We need to act like it and be it. We need to do this. And we're the voice of one crying in the wilderness as we prepare the way of the Lord. This is our responsibility and it's a great one. It's a one, we are privileged people. But we say with Isaiah in anticipation of here am i i'm ready to be sent. Have you said that recently? Have you been willing? I have. Every day, Lord. How long? I'm not trying to pester God. I'm ready. And the people are saying when can you come? When can when can saints come? Well, we're just kind of waiting, and we're waiting. Here am I, send me. But we've got to be prepared for that. We need these factors. You know, and I'm going to end with this. Describing this principle and describing these factors, it's obvious that they're all around us. And if we focus on the factors the first parts of these factors, we can become very discouraged, can't we? <laughs> it bothers me. You know, like if I'm watching sports, with some of you don't, and I see, I see somebody that is paid, and they're supposed to be a professional, and they make the most egregious elemental mistake in strategy, and you think, why did you do that? What were you thinking? With 12 seconds left on the clock, why did you catch a pass over the middle and run down the field when the clock is expiring? Why didn't you get out of bounds? A elementary school kid knows that. Why don't you know that? It irritates me when I see things that are going on in the government and I think, dear God, save us. What in the world is happening? And then you can can just become irritated. See, well, we're going to teach this in the schools. We're going to line up kids in third grade, and we're going to tell them these heinous things, and we're going to tell them how to do these heinous things, and we're going to do it so that we can show love. That, oh, boy, that just, I think, no, no, not here. We're not going to let this happen. We can look at all kinds we can look at dozens of those things with heart, without even trying. I mean, it's just all around us. If we were ever saying we d- dwell in the midst of an oi environment, it is now. But we could look to say where sin abounds. Grace does much more abound. We want grace to abound. But we don't think that the, that the, uh, the fertilize of grace <laughs> is the sin that's abounding. Right? Or should we just yank that scripture out of the Bible? Let's just rip that one out. That's an inconvenient truth. No, we're living in these days. You are in these pages. So let's live like it. And let's partner with the God who said it. And let's believe that what we have invested ourselves in the Lord and what he has prophesied and what he said, he actually means it. He has not lost his way. And he's not forgotten you. And I think that is essentially why Elijah said what he said. And I think that's probably why Moses said what he said. I don't fault them. Those were prevailing spiritual atmospheres. But here is Isaiah thank God he said, perceived, and did the right thing. This is what we must do. And I, again, I think, did I already say I was ending? Who keeps track of that? Thankfully, none of you. But I think I did say I was ending. Maybe Debbie keeps track of it. Um, (laughs) So, but the thing is, is that being the baby of the family gave me some advantages. Because I could see what my brothers did, and I could say, okay, boy, I'm not going to do that because they got in a whale of trouble for that. Now, I would like to say that I always said it from a from a good standpoint. I could see what they were trying to do. I want to do that too. I'm just not going to try it in the way they did and got caught. So and that's a mindset of any baby of the family. I feel sorry for you that were the firstborn. I know you're you you got the birthright and all that stuff, but I like the position I was in. In a way, looking at the scripture is from a baby in the family's perspective because we can see these elders that went before and we can see the things and the promises that they pursued and we can see how some of them didn't do exactly what God wanted. And hopefully we can learn from that and we can do what is right. Isaiah is an example of that. So what I am going to ask all of you to do is this week, not only should you be declaring great grace over your life every day, but I think you should read this passage. And I think you should ask the Lord, first of all, thank him for allowing you to live in this moment, but commit yourself to that ministry of intercession, that ministry of prophetic lifestyle, and that ministry of partnering with him in grace to see what he's doing and what he's wanting to do, and align yourself with it. And ask him to touch you with the coal of that altar, and let let your life be empowered by that eternal calling that we're all living. It's not like I'm, hey, you've been working over in this other place. Now, let's get a call from over here. This is what you have been doing. This is where you are. We just need to go beyond. We need to go further. And it's because that's where God wants us. So ask him for that. And seriously expect for him to do it. And then you do it. How's that sound? I know I need it. I, uh, I've been living an oil lifestyle. I mean I've I've not I, I understand what Elijah what Isaiah said here. Woe is me, I, I am a man of unclean lips. I, I as I and we've said this over the years, over the past couple of years. God has been in his spirit, not in a condemnatory way. He's been pointing out things just in this quiet. I want you to revisit this. I want you to, to surrender this to me. I want you to look back. I mean, you did what all you could do, and through my power I got you through, but because it was moving so quickly, you didn't really address this. God has been doing this, and and I'm, I'm glad for it. You know, the book of Hebrews says that if... If you're a son and God is not doing this, then are you really a son? So uh, I just ask that we would submit ourselves to the Lord, but then believe for that fire, because that here-am-I-send-me moment is upon us. And and I'm very grateful to be walking this with, with all of you. Father, thank you for your goodness. And we look forward to the time where the saints are going to be gathered together and uh, there are going to be prophetic declarations to the network regarding this and be, and regarding other, other aspects of the going forward and preparing to go forward. We, we look forward as a congregation to hosting and welcoming this. But for us today, help us to step into this place in you. You can't give or orchestrate what you don't already have and so, Lord, we, we, we want us, uh, to encounter you. And, and I speak that divine appointment into each one of our congregation and to all of the saints. We love you. We say, come. We welcome you, Father. Let us be your servants and let us be transformed in your timetable for service to you in what you're wanting to do next. Thank you for it. We love you, Father. And we ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, God bless all of you. Thank you for being here. It's great to see you. And thank all of you for, for tuning in. Um, let's, let's be faithful to seek the Lord. Amen? Goodbye.